All right. All right. Just to keep the record straight, I have to tell you that after I proposed the topic for this week's sermon, and of course I was doing some research, I ran into this headline. Please stop saying, and a little child shall lead them. But it's too late. That was just too late. And the author's explanation is that the saying comes from Isaiah 11.6 in the Hebrew scriptures. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Then Isaiah goes on to speak of a day where there's a change in the world so dramatic that no one Apparently, I need a valet. <laughs> I even have it written, as, as Tom McIntyre suggested. Write it at the top of your sermon, and I wrote it and I even showed Tom. <laughs> so what am I to do? I'm just going to keep going. I am not going to repeat. I am just going to keep going. So anyway, Isaiah goes on to speak of a day when there will be this dramatic change in the world where no one will be afraid. But nowhere does it ever say that children will lead adults. You know, it's very rare that we quote the Bible as you use, even though we use claim Jewish and Christian teachings as sources of wisdom and guidance. But I must tell you, I feel fine taking those words out of context. Now that I know they're out of context, because we have so many examples throughout history where children have done just that been the guiding force in one revolution or another. Just as the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida are not the first. There have been others. Joan of Arc, for instance, was a mere teen when she led the French army against English invaders. How was it that a peasant girl believed she was the one who could save her country from the scourge of England. She had visions, of course. Today we would say that she had mental illness. But back in the 1400s, it was not unusual for a woman to proclaim that they had visions and direct connection with the divine. She heard voices. Instead of being ignored or shamed for being mentally ill, she was able to convince 
authorities that she had direct communication with God and the saints. She had presence. She was said to be quite pious and somehow just exuded some kind of aura that felt as if she had some kind of direct connection with the divine. She was not successful in 1428 as she first tried to join the Dauphin, who later became Charles VII of France. She was sent away by one of the king's officers. Nevertheless, she persisted. Does that quality sound at all familiar? Nevertheless, she persisted. She traveled out into the world, was rejected, went back home and began to convince those in her hometown. She began to use her leadership to turn around the thoughts of the people who knew her best. Somehow, after many examinations by the authorities who questioned her authority, she was finally granted permission to join the army. She went from farmlands to castles to battlefields, and because the inspiration of the French people and its armies had been so little, she was able to inspire them to rise up for their country. At the age of 14, Joan began her crusade to save the reign of Charles VII. At the age of 17, she was commanding a small army and saving France. I remember seeing Joan of Arc movies and she's always on this gorgeous, giant, white steed with her arm up with a sign that said Jesus and a sword. That is the picture that I have of her kind of leadership. Well, at the age of 17, she was co commanding a small army and saving France, but at the age of 18, she was captured put on trial for heresy, and burned at the stake. Sometimes being precocious just does not pay. But at least Joan was made a saint in 1920. Let's move forward a few centuries. In the 1960s, during the Civil Rights Movement, Children as young as elementary school age, teenagers and young adults, such as John Lewis, who was in his early 20s when he was brutally beaten on Bloody Sunday. The children marched and were jailed for their participation. Now, of course, adults were reluctant to have their children join in these kinds of demonstrations because as parents, we want to care for our children. We want them to be safe. But sometimes, as adults, we just can't do it alone. 
It was the children who chose to become involved. Part of the reason was because they thought it was exciting to be a part of this history that they felt they were going to be key in changing. And one of the most important events of the Civil Rights era was the Birmingham, Birmingham Children's Crusade, the first week of May in 1963, in which thousands of children left school to march for civil rights. But before they marched, these children were taught nonviolence. These children were taught the tactics of peace and nonviolence because their intention was to be part of a peaceful protest. But that was not to be. The first day when they marched to the mayor's office where they wanted to talk with their city's leader about segregation, hundreds of children were arrested and actually spent quite a bit of time in jail. The second day they were met by police who followed safety commissioner Bull Connor's orders, I think a lot of us will remember that name, Bull Connor. The children were barraged with water cannons, hit with batons, attacked by dogs, and put in jail. But the children continued to march, and on May 5th, they marched to the jail where their friends were being held. Five days later, businesses agreed to desegregate. Businesses wanted to desegregate. They began that process. Oh, but the school board still wanted to punish the children by expelling them from school. But that was later rescinded. <coughs> Dr. King had told the children that what you do this day will have an effect on children yet unborn. And so we know that those children back in the 1960s have indeed affected our lives, even those of us who were alive in 1963, and most certainly those who were born after that date. When Dr. King told them that what you do this day will have an impact on children yet unborn, the children had that sense of wonder and responsibility that helped them maintain their sense of resolve and bravery. The children of Birmingham, Alabama had de helped desegregate their city and put it into the world spotlight the little children had led them. This brings us to the present. Now, I know that there are lots of other examples where children have been leaders, and we heard one of those stories today. But we can't tell all the stories. But we must tell the story of what is on a lot of our minds today. And that is what happened on Valentine's Day 
in Florida. Now from Columbine, Columbine in 1999, had you realized that 20 years had passed? I, when I saw that name, it was as if it were only yesterday. So from Columbine in 1999 to Sandy Hook in 2012, we have been absolutely horrified by the proliferation of violence in our nation's schools, or shall I say, perpetrated upon our nation's schools. Especially after Sandy Hook, when 20 children and six adults were gunned down by a 20-year-old with several weapons. I thought things would change, didn't you? Many of those who died were kindergartners and first graders. President Obama visited the school and cried. After that, many of us thought someone will do something about the gun laws and automatic weapons, but nothing happened. Then 58 people were killed and 851 injured in Las Vegas. Surely someone will do something. We thought that bump stocks would be eliminated, not, no longer available. For a lot of us, that just made sense. Is there any reason why we should have weapons available to the public that can kill so many people in such a short time? Some of us can think of a reason, but most of us can't. We waited, but nothing happened. Nothing happened until 17 people were killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School by 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz and an AR-15 rifle. First of all, before I go any further, I want to say that we continue to send consoling thoughts and prayers to those family who lost loved ones that day, to those who continue to be traumatized by those events, to those whose lives will never be the same, including law enforcement officers who did not respond as expected, we still send prayers. We include those who want no change and those who are in agreement with NRA's influence on our lives. We send prayers. What was unexpected about the aftermath of the shooting was that instead of going into fright mode, Students went into all-out fight mode. They gathered together and called adults out for not protecting them, not valuing their lives. This had never happened before, and adults, including state and federal government, were put on notice that these children will never stop fighting for change. Of course, it remains to be seen 
how the memories of these young people will hold the anger and hold on to the determination to make changes about gun laws. But that determination is strong right now. Things are changing, and it's because of the efforts of children who are leading the way, particularly five students from that high school. David Hogg, Cameron Caskey, Alex Wynn, Jacqueline Corrin, and Emma Gonzalez. We have to salute them. We believe that, they believe that their lives are worth saving and that they should be protected by government and school officials. They believe their safety should be more important than the need for assault weapons to remain available. What must it have felt like for those who witnessed assault weapon legislation be defeated on the same day that legislation passed saying pornography was dangerous? At the beginning, we had no idea how determined these children would be. Many of us thought, oh, they'll fold. They'll just go away after the first defeat. But they haven't, they're still there. They're still doing things. Some of the children from that school actually played at Carnegie Hall. They are not going away. Many of us said, oh, their enthusiasm, oh, it's so noble. Ah, but that's not going to change anything. Actually, some people said it's kind of bratty that well-to-do white kids just weren't used to being told no. It turns out that it's a lot more than that. For some reason, adults have reacted in a big way. to the lack of change from the gun lobbies. It's the children who decided that mass shootings are not a normal way of life. Killing students who ought to feel safe in their schools is not a normal way of life. Emma Gonzalez, who is the chair of the Gay Straight Alliance in her school, was interviewed on the news and the language she used is not entirely appropriate for a Sunday service. But you'll still have an idea how impassioned the message is, and she pulls no punches. Now, this may be offensive to some. I apologize if it is. But for others, maybe you're brave enough to say, be safe rather than BS. I will raise my hand when it's your turn to say, be safe. So I'm going to read an excerpt from Emma's speech, and when I raise my hand, what will you say? Be safe. The people in the government were voted into power. They're lying to us, and us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and our parents to call be safe. Companies are saying that we are self-involved and tr trend-obsessed. We are prepared to, to call 
be safe. Politicians who sit in their gilded house and Senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have been done to prevent this, we call be safe. They say tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence, but we call be safe. They say that a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun, but we call be safe. They say guns are just tools like knives and are, are as dangerous as cars. We call be safe. They say that no laws could have prevented the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred, but we call be safe. That us kids don't know what we're talking about. That we're too young to understand how the government works. But we call be safe. Now there have been many controversies surrounding this tragedy. We've been arguing whether teachers should carry guns. Most people believe this is the wrong direction. Do we really want our teachers to have guns in the classroom? Trained officers were not even able to react to save the children. Isn't that quite a burden to put on our teachers? We hear all too familiar lament that guns don't kill people. People kill people. Some are blaming mental illness. Some large companies have severed ties with the NRA. The mayor of Dallas, Texas, asked the NRA to hold its convention elsewhere. Students are gearing up for a massive demonstration in Washington, D.C. on March 24th, and there will be similar marches all over the country, including right here in Peoria. The Valentine's Day massacre in Florida has changed our lives. Actually, the most unexpected change is how children came together to goad our nation out of its acquiescence to a lobby that does not represent what the majority of US citizens believe. We are humbled. We are grateful for the children who have a emerged as leaders, for those who have taken up the mantle of justice, who have the courage to challenge what has stymied us adults, and to do so expecting us, all of us, to, raise, to rise up. These who have the courage to challenge what has been hurting this nation. They are expecting us to rise to the occasion and to exercise our moral obligation to them, to the children, to protect them. It took the voices of children for us to get where we are in addressing this complicated and difficult issue of guns in our society.
It seems it's only complicated for adults. The youth see the simple facts and ask, ask us, why not? We are grateful to the little children who led us and forced us to look at the truth. Yes, we are indeed grateful. And we call, be safe. <laughs>